If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. We, uh, we are considering during this Advent season what some would call the songs of Advent through the scriptures. Um, so we can, make, we can say there's four songs, Mary's song, Zachariah's song, the angel's song, Simeon's song. Unfortunately, Daniel was going to share on Mary's song last week, and I was very much looking forward to that and very much petitioned him to share that, um, but he just has so much else going on, and I respect that. But if you want to hear that sermon, Daniel told me he will preach it to you one-on-one. No, he actually didn't. <laughs> That's true. Record it, FaceTime it or whatever, put it up. Yeah. So so we... we we are, um, we are looking to Daniel uh, to bring out Mary's song. This morning, though, we're going to look at Zechariah's song. Um, before we do that, just a really quick recap on Zechariah. We, we want to say what brought Zechariah to this song. Um, and the backdrop of Zechariah's song is really a picture of stumbling faith. It's really a picture uh, of, of, of unbelief. And, you know, we we see this man um, in Luke chapter 1, and and we're not going to take time to go over, you know, verse by verse his story, but a man that was devout, a man that was along in years, a man that had walked with the Lord for quite some time, a man that had served God for many years, but then when he's faced with the tension of trusting God in what seemed to be impossible... Zechariah falters. Um, He still had a lot to learn about the nature of genuine faith. And I wonder if we do too. You know, again, this is a man that, as I said, was, was faithful to the Lord and walked with the Lord and knew God, walked with Him for a really long time. But... When push came to shove, believe what seems unbelievable, that's when faith needed to kick into high gear. He's a Jewish priest in the first century. He gets a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, It was once-in-a-lifetime because the amount of priests in that day, uh, it's been recorded that there was uh, over 20,000 priests to serve in the temple. So he got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity by lot to go in and to serve into the sanctuary of the Lord, to burn incense, which would have symbolized the prayers for the people, of the people, to God. And while he's there, the angel Gabriel, one of the few angels in the Bible that we we have a name, he he comes to Zechariah and he tells him, in spite of his advanced age, in spite of his wife Elizabeth's advanced age, in spite of their history of being barren, which which in that culture would have been very shameful for Elizabeth, you'd kind of wonder, hey, what what have we done wrong? In spite of all that, They were going to have a son, and he was going to be the precursor of the ministry of God's Messiah. (coughs) Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And like I said, it's here that Zechariah, this great man of God, falters. 
And he asks in unbelief, in a spirit of unbelief, he asks Gabriel, how can I be sure of this? Am I, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So he's telling Gabriel, the angel that sees, stands before him, hey, listen, Gabriel, I appreciate what you're saying, but don't you understand the details? Don't you understand the circumstances of my life? He said, well, what? Why did he lose faith? Had it been, had, maybe Zechariah had been praying for decades for a son. And, and maybe, maybe those prayers stopped, right? Because enough years went by and enough quiet went by. And, and, and he got old enough and his wife got old enough where he said, clearly this isn't meant to be. Why ask any longer? Maybe you relate to that. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you've given up on prayer or prayer for God to intervene. Maybe you're losing faith. But Zechariah forgets that, that faith calls us to believe beyond pragmatism, to believe beyond what's practical or, or even what we might say is common sense. And that's easy to preach on. And that's easy to read about, but that's harder to put into our situation, isn't it? And Gabriel responds to Zechariah's lack of belief, and he says, Because you did not believe my words, you're going to be quiet for a while, Zechariah. And you sense that this old man now has time to reflect. <laughs> In this, in this humble, quiet place. He struck mute until John's birth. But God is gracious, amen? So coincidentally, John means what? God is gracious. The name John means that God is gracious. That's what it means. And that God is so gracious that he fulfills his word to Zachariah and Elizabeth, just as he said he would. And then upon John's birth, rather than giving into this, this, this pressure of, of the custom of the day, which we do that, we know what God says, but then we have all our customs and traditions that somehow be, get on par with what God says. And there's these customs of the day. Well, of course you've got, you know, Elizabeth says his name is going to be John. And no, 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 how can his name be John? It's got to be Zechariah Jr., it's got to be some other name in the family. And, and you know, um, Zachariah asks for a tablet and he just writes, his name is John. God is gracious. And then at that moment, that moment of obedience, his tongue is loosed. His tongue is free. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then through that Holy Spirit, he prophesies. And that's the lead up to this psalm. Verse 67, his father, so John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers 
and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So it's really this beautiful psalm, song of prophecy. Anything jump out at you? I just wanted to start by, as I read that, did any phrases just kind of jump off the page to you? Yeah, yeah. Kind of get a, a an I, Isaiah nine echo there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if Zechariah's story begins as stumbling faith, that, that's what we just went through, right? That his story begins with this stumbling faith. We, we really get to see in this song that this old, pious, devout, religious man is still teachable. He's still teachable. He's, he's been teachable in this nine months of humble silence, silent reflection. And, and it, it just made me think, like, we should probably pause in those moments and look at Zechariah and ask ourselves, am I still teachable? It's so encouraging to me when I meet someone who is farther along than I am, who has been walking with the Lord for a long time, and says, man, you know what God taught me today? You know what God taught me this week? You know how God's changing my heart now? And shouldn't we all continue to be teachable? I, it got me thinking about, you know, even some ways that God is forming my heart over the recent years. And, and some of that has been through trial. And some of that has been through uh, loss. And some of that has been through things taking much longer than I hoped for. But through such things, God has continued to humble me um, and needs to continue to humble me. And he's continued to change my value system. Um, I, I thought one thing that jumped out to me, I, there was a couple of weeks ago, we had a Thanksgiving service at Liberty Lutheran the, the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. And what, what, how the service went was four of us stood up front and it was myself, it was Pastor Harry Colgrove, Pastor Rick Adams, Pastor Mike Hudson. 
And we just read a very um, simple liturgy taking turns. There was maybe 20-something people attending there. And the liturgy was like, uh, it, it gave thanks for like different regions of the country. It gave thanks for different seasons. Um, it gave thanks for um, different aspects of creation, different aspects of provision. Um, it gave thanks for very specific food. So I, I, I got to give thanks, and some of you might praise God for this. I got to give thanks for things like Texas toast. I kid you not. Texas toast and Philly cheesesteaks and, and um, New York pizza. Amen? New York pizza. And, and then I've never, I've never been to Chicago, but Chicago deep dish pizza. So it was like these very specific um, items of thanksgiving and gratitude. And I realized that night that like 10 years ago, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, like 10 years ago, I think I would have been tempted to think that night silly. Honestly. I might have even been tempted to think that night um, uh, a little bit of a waste of time. And that embarrasses me to say that, but it's true. But I didn't feel that way that night. Instead, I, I stood there with brothers and comrades and friends. And, and, I, and I stood there among some, you know, a handful of attendees and and just people that were faithful to come and encourage them toward gratitude. And I thought it was good, and it, it was joyful, and it was beautiful. And I think God took pleasure in it. But, but my response to that was born out of the trials by which God is softening my heart. Because I wouldn't have responded that way 10 years ago, and I know it. But now I'm gauging what is beautiful differently and gauging, gauging what is valuable differently. They say, what is God teaching you? What, are we all still teachable under God's loving hand of discipline? So Zechariah has learned to believe in, again that God can and will do what he says he will do. Right? Zechariah, because you did not believe my words... But that's not the sense you get in a song, is it? <laughs> now, now, even if it seems impossible, Zechariah knows that what God has said will come to pass. And he, this song is all in this framework of what he says uh, in reference to salvation, that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now you say, well, what does that mean? And some of you have a little cross-reference in your Bible maybe that, that, that mentions that, that a lot of times when Scripture brings up this image or metaphor of a horn, it's talking about what? Does any of your Bible say? Strength. So strength and power, kind of like this strong, mighty bull or this strong, mighty ox. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of power. So what he's framing it in is the fact that God is mighty to save. God is mighty to save. And then he gives us several implications of what this salvation looks like. For one, God's salvation isn't a new revelation. Instead, it is a promise fulfilled. 
It's a promise that was given to Abraham. He mentions that. It's a promise that's given to David. He mentions that. It's a promise that was given to Moses. It was a promise that was given to his people. That this mighty salvation would be accomplished through a mighty Savior. That there would be a person that comes in the line of David to sit on his throne, a prophesied Messiah and King. And through him, what God said, through his holy prophets of long ago, like I said, it will come to pass. He will, he will remember and he will be faithful to his promise, faithful to his commitment, faithful to his covenant. Has God changed? Has God changed? No. no. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is still faithful to his promises. Amen? So when you read his word, so when he, he had promised, even though it took hundreds of years and maybe thousands of years, you go all the way back to Abraham, he promised that the event, that the son would come. And he did. And God promises us that there will be a second advent. Has God changed? No. So when you look at his word and you look at his promises and what he says he will do, he will do them. Amen? Amen. He's faithful to his promises. So you've got to say, am I standing on the promises of God? Or am I like Zechariah who's just got tired of praying? Huh. Get me preaching maybe this morning. So, Are you standing on the promises of God? Next. The most obvious implication of God's salvation is that it is a means of deliverance. It is a means of rescue. Isn't that a cool picture? Oh, man. Can't you see Jesus doing that? Yeah. Yeah. In faith, now notice this, in faith as Zacharias sings, he speaks of God's salvation as if it's already happened. He says God has come and has redeemed his people. He already has. He's, gonna, he's paying the high price of ransom, right? That's what redemption means. There's this ransom to be free, paid to free you from bondage and slavery. And he has done that. He speaks, he speaks as if it's already happened because now he's standing in faith. He knows what God sa- says will, he will do is as good as done. It's still true. Rescuing us from the hand of our hands of our enemies, and of course, these enemies are not temporary, temporary enemies. And 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 everybody in that time was was tempted to think that, and we're still tempted to think that. And it's it's not nations and and armies and you know the other side of the political arena and people who oppose us and people who make life hard or think differently. It's the greatest enemy. It's that enemy of sin that held mankind in the grip of death, that separated us from God. Daryl Bach, the author Daryl Bach says, Jesus will take on the cosmic forces that oppress humanity, that bring pain and suffering to the world. And when liberation comes through his ministry, sin and Satan will lead the enemy lines, right? That, that the captives in his train. But this rescue must come then, as Zechariah prophesies, through the forgiveness of sins. That's how it comes. 
you need to be rescued through the forgiveness of sins. The enemy is sin. That's what separates you from the Lord. That's what brought death spiritually and physically in the first place. So your rescue must come by the means of the forgiveness of sins. Our rebellion against God, that's what's wreaked havoc on, the, on this world, right? Our rebellion, our walking away from the Lord. But in Jesus, sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. Debt canceled. You, say, I don't, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. God knows what you've done. And it's God is the one that says, through Jesus, I can forgive you. Through Jesus, I can wipe your slate clean. And I can make you, though you're dirty and a mess, I can clean you as pure as white snow. And why does he do this? Because it flows from his tender mercy. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That it flows from his tender mercy. We can praise God. Again, Darrell Bach writes, God's mercy is not a matter of mere words. It's expressed. It expresses itself in concrete action. And that action is Jesus. That action is his coming from heaven to earth. His taking on a cross that I deserved. His rising from a grave that had my name on it. Have you turned to him for rescue? And then next we see that not only is God's salvation a promise fulfilled, not only is God's salvation a means of rescue, but it's also the means by which we're able to serve God without fear. So as God's mercy is expressed in concrete action, so must our response to his mercy be. That too must be expressed in concrete action. Zechariah confirms that we're not just saved from something, right? We're saved unto something. We're not just granted a, a ticket to heaven. Well, let me say the sinner's prayer so I know that I'll go to heaven someday. Heaven isn't salvation. Reconciliation with God is salvation. Forgiveness of sins. Heaven is the picture of you being with God forever. Heaven isn't salvation in and of itself. You are made right with God. That's salvation through the forgiveness of sins. But we're not just saved from that. We're saved unto service, to worship him, to bow our lives down before him, to, to love as he's loved, to love others that are unlovable, to, to, to forgive when it, people don't deserve it, to, to, to minister to needs that, that nobody else will. to be a part of God's ministry of reconciliation, to be his ambassadors. Are you serving him? Are you serving him in your family? Are you serving him in your workplace? In your community, to your neighbors? And then this is just such a beautiful accent that we can do this without fear. <laughs> without fear. I was thinking... Um, Again, slightly to my embarrassment, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And if you know anything about football, the Cowboys, ugh, always, always, 
disappointing. They, they, you know, this team that has all this talent and they won their first games. Now they've lost how many out of the last 10, Joe? Seven. They've lost seven of their last 10. And so, so each, each, after each game, there's a headline about who? The coach. Coach Jason Barrett. And he has to fear, right? I'm not performing well enough. I'm going to lose my job. Jerry Jones is going to say next. Will I still be a part of this organization, right? Because if you don't win and you're not performing and you're not, you know, you're out. Isn't it good that that's not the nature of God? Isn't it good that that's not so with God and not so with us? That we do not have to be driven by this, this slavish and futile fear to try and gain God's approval by our actions, our efforts, because we already have it in Jesus. <laughs> we'll never be cast out of the family. We can serve him without fear. And we can do so in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There's nothing that God is freeing us from all those things that could trip us up. The fear of judgment, even those sins. I was talking to uh, my brother Myron the other day, just talking about, hey, what, what do you think? And I'll be a little bold here. What do you think is holding back the guys in the church? And he said, you know what? I, you know, there could be a lot of things. Um, but I think there's a lot of sin that's not dealt with and a lot of secret sin that goes on. And then it's just a sin that so easily entangles and then I can't serve and I'm bogged down with guilt and I'm not right with God and people. The Lord wants to free you from all that. He, he wants you to free you to serve him without fear. Amen? All of us that we would not be caught up in the sins that he's freed us from, that we would not be standing under the fear of his judgment. Jesus took care of that. He made us holy, set apart for his purposes. He made us righteous, granting us the righteousness of Christ. And now we can live in that righteousness, what he calls good, what he calls just, what he calls beautiful, right, fair. Not in fear of judgment, not in fear of our enemies, but serving in gratitude. Thank you, Lord. You have loved me. I'm going I'm to serve out of love. That's freedom. You know it? it, it it's, it's trusting that God's already conquered those things. I'm free to serve him. And, and then lastly, as Zachariah his thoughts point him to the blessings of his son, who John the Baptist, and he'll prepare a way for the Lord. Just as quickly, you see, his thoughts return to what's accomplished through this mighty Savior. And the final result that's highlighted, we could say, in this beautiful prophecy is that through God's salvation, light will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. There will be an enlightenment that shows us the way to walk. And it's something that's experienced, like the rising sun breaking into this long and dreadful darkness, right? How fitting, the rising sun. 
to what end? To guide our feet into the path of peace. Again, your salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. It was a means, it's, it's prophecy fulfilled, promise fulfilled. It's a means of rescue, but unto service of God and freedom and without fear. Unto walking in a new activity and a new direction. And that path is the path of peace, following as the prophets foretold the Prince of Peace. That we would have peace with God. That, that that chasm that sin created would be bridged in Christ. That we would then start to learn what it is to have peace within ourselves because the relationship with ourselves is broken with sin. That we would learn to have peace with one another. That even here we would be working that out and it is a process to work out. And we'd work that out in our families. What does peace look like? And we'd work that out with our neighbors. What does peace look like, even when it's hard? And as far as it is up to me, how, how am I fostering peace, wholeness, completeness, reconciliation? We have to become an agent of peace. And that's to walk in the opposite direction of the prevailing culture. Totally. And, and, and more so and more so and more so. Our culture is a culture that's polarized. Our culture is a culture of, 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 of conflict. Our culture is a culture of I'm right and you're wrong. Our, our culture is a culture of, of brash and loud opinions and disrespect and disregard and demanding our rights. And instead we have to hear the Lord to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, yeah, the children of God. They're the ones that are going to reflect my character as my kids. We who have experienced with peace with God through his amazing grace have to be walking in the path of peace in our relationships. So we, so we need to ask, are we walking in the pathway of peace? A horn of salvation, a promise fulfilled, a means of rescue, the ability to serve him apart from fear, Guidance for our feet into the path of peace. What a beautiful, beautiful reflection. I'll close and then I'll invite Tim up with just a quote from F.B. Meyer. It is wholesome to apply this song to ourselves and to ask how far we have participated in these great blessings. Are we experiencing this daily salvation from our spiritual enemies who hate us? Do we serve God without the slavish fear of a serf and with the loyal allegiance of a child? Are all our days characterized by holiness toward God and righteousness toward men? Has the day spring from on high visited our hearts and are our feet walking in the way of peace?